This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. This is Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 202. This week, we welcome Genevieve Taylor back to the podcast. Jen is a cook, author, and expert in cooking over fire. So we caught up at the start of barbecue season to discuss budget to blow out equipment, correct technique, the best fuel to use, and some really inventive ways to cook with veggies this summer. So welcome back to the podcast, Genevieve Taylor. Hello. Hello. Lovely to have you over Zoom again. It um, is. <laughs> um, how, how's it going? And are you in Bristol, aren't you? I'm in Bristol, yeah. Um, it's going remarkably well. I mean, this weather's been amazing. So I've kind of been living in the garden or on my allotment, essentially. So yeah, I, yeah it's been fine. <laughs> nice time. Um, yeah, <laughs> tan, yeah. Um, I was looking, I was reminding myself, because you've been on the podcast a couple of times talking about various things. Um, mm. But I was thinking, what am I going to introduce her as? Because you're like, you're a writer, you're a food stylist, you're a chef, you're a, you yeah. do so many different things. I do. I mean, mostly it's all about fire these days. Yeah. Um, so I call myself a live fire cook. Yeah, because today we're yeah. going to be talking all about barbecue, which is one of your specialities. Yeah. Um, tell me about like how you sort of came to be, you know, how fire be- became your specialist subject. Because you do know, I mean, you've, you've built your own wood-fired oven You've yeah. written a wood fired cookbook. You've written barbecue yeah. cookbooks as well. Like, yeah. how, what is it? What was it that kind of drew you to it? Yeah, it's really, really simple. Um, I prefer to be outside than inside, okay. so it was, <laughs> it was just a way of um, unshackling myself from my kitchen and sticking two fingers up at domesticity and getting outside, yeah. basically. Yeah. 
Because it is like, I think we've discussed in the past, it can be like quite a macho thing, corn at barbecue. You do get a lot of kind of big blokes poking bits of meat. It's a lot of big blokes hulking bits of meat. And most of those big blokes are very nice, I'd yeah, like to add. They're not, you know, they're, no, they're pretty nice big blokes, but it is, it's pretty macho. I'm, you know, when I do the festival circuit, I'm almost always the only woman there, yeah. sort of up on the stage. But, yeah, you know, so there are there are a few of us. But I definitely would like to encourage more women to go. I mean, I'm, I've got my first... Um, I would say, like, it is my first proper, proper barbecue that I've ever had yeah. in my grand old age. And, um, and and I'm just starting to really get into it. And I'm realising that, you know, although, like, on a simple level, anyone can do it. There's mm. a, you can go quite deep with it as well. Tell us about your Bristol Fire School. What's all that about? Yeah, so I, I set up the Bristol Fire School pretty recently. I managed to do the sum total of one class before lockdown. Oh, and that. <laughs> But I've got a lot of people booked on to kind of things when I get going again. But um, it struck me as a sort of fire and barbecue cook that actually the thing getting in the way of people having success is the fire itself. Once you've mastered the fire and you know how fire works and how to control it and how to work with it and about the fuel and about the, you know, all those elements... Once you've mastered that bit, it's just cooking. It's just yeah. cooking like any other cooking. There's no other kind of magic to it, really. So it's just it's just that fundamental set of skills yeah. to do with fire that people really need to get to grips with. Maybe because as well, you know, we've been, we're used to using things with controls and numbers on and um, and we've desensitised ourselves from like the instinctiveness of looking at something and thinking, well, what's happening with that? You know, how, how hot is that getting? What? So it, it's probably a lot to do with that as well. I think it's a lot to do with that. I think, um, and certainly as a, as a sort of professional recipe writer, I've had to kind of slightly retrain myself because it, when you're writing about fire cooking, it's almost impossible to say, bung it in the oven at 180 for 20 minutes and it's going to be perfect. Yeah which is what people have come to expect from recipes (laughs) because, you know, that's the expectation. That's what people demand. And actually with with fire, you you can't cook like that because like every fire I light is different. So the fire I might light tonight will be slightly different to the fire I lit yesterday and it will be different to the fire you light tomorrow because there are variables, you know, and unless you know about those variables like... um, you know the ambient temperature or how damp your fuel is or you know where to sort of how to kind of set things up so you've got control of the fire and unless you sort of master those it's always going to be hard I think and there's um in the kind of barbecue world there's a saying um, and it goes along the lines of it's done when it's done yeah and that's that's barbecue cooking you know I it's not about time it's about temperature really yeah and it's about kind of doneness (laughs) <laughs> like it. it's done when it's done it's I think done we when kind it's of done. say that in cooking in general so there's, yeah. there's certain things isn't there like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're always going about cooking onions when people say oh yeah five minutes and until they're soft and you're like it doesn't take five minutes to make onions soft it takes I can't a, I can't <laughs> abide that no it's like I think I said in one of my um, Instagram films the other day don't don't trust a recipe that says you can soften an onion in 10 minutes because yeah. it's absolute rubbish not true it's not um, true so today we're going to eat, you know, I know you've got all this other <clears throat> wood-fired oven 
expertise, but we're going to focus mm. in on barbecue today because it is, sure. I mean, it's not, we're talking on, on what is a horrible grey day in the midst of what's been an incredible heat wave, um, yeah. certainly in London. Um, mm. And I think you guys had some Bristol as well. Yeah, amazing um, weather. And I guess we just want to encourage people to get out there and, and do it, you know, if they've mm. got, um, and we can maybe talk, maybe you've got more of a link in than I have to, to if people haven't got gardens, you know, what, mm-hmm. what the rules are about, for example, having a barbecue on the beach or mm-hmm. out in, I think there's probably designated areas where people can, but either mm-hmm. way, we're just going to talk about, you know, how to get into it. Um, sure. So first things first, the actual barbecue itself, mm-hmm. thought we could talk about, you know, like budget to blow out, like what's the least amount of money you can spend in order to have a decent setup. Um, mm-hmm. And by decent, I mean something you can cook on and mm-hmm. like what's the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some senses, you kind of get what you pay for in terms of how long the barbecue is going to last. But actually, you can cook on an old bucket with a grill on top. You know, you can cook on it. It's fine. Make a few holes in the side. You don't, I'm not a big fan of kind of fancy kit um, and expensive kit. I've got a lot of kits in my garden. (laughs) Because uh, because I work with different people and I've got lots of kind of different brands and some of those um, literally cost thousands and thousands really? of pounds wow. and then other ones are sort of a hundred quid yeah um, and and I would always say don't buy the cheapest barbecue if you, if you are serious about doing it more than once or twice a year because yeah. they won't last from season to season and I would I I guess I would always prefer to encourage people to spend a little bit more and have something that's going to last rather than like a chuck away yeah because then you just thing. have to go and get another one and then you're just exactly and it's just more. it's just kind of not very eco is it and then um, yeah. one of the things I absolutely loathe and I scream about it from the rooftops of those horrible little disposable barbecues I just wish people wouldn't buy them I hate them they're so bad they're so bad for the environment they're they're rubbish for cooking on really rubbish you can't (laughs) cook on them they're full of chemicals the charcoal in them is appalling it's like powder isn't it yeah yeah and I I know we'll talk about charcoal in a minute probably and fuel because that's really important Mm. um but yeah and and also a lot of waste. Pe- a lot of waste, and people who buy them and use them on the beach or in the woods—they yeah. nine times out of ten, they just bloody well leave them yeah. there, and it drives me insane. I hate them. Like you said, though, even even if you look at it, you know, you can you can buy a reasonably priced one and know yeah. that you're going to get a good good few years out of it. Exactly, so, and, and and I mean that's the that's what I was rather encourage people to do than sort of buy a sort of throwaway thing um, want... and I... sorry carry on no no you you carry on <clears throat> I mean um in terms of a sort of pretty good all-rounder setup you can't go much wrong with a kind of one of the classic kind of kettle barbecues yeah. you know the dome ones with the lid getting something with a lid is important um I always say to people that you wouldn't try and cook in your oven in your kitchen and leave the door open because you might all that heat you couldn't bake a cake in your oven with the door open it just wouldn't work because you're losing all that heat up into the air because heat obviously rises so um once you've got a barbecue with a lid you're 10 times more efficient than if you've got a barbecue without a lid 
Oh, that, that was exactly what I was going to ask you and I interrupted was, is it best to, to spend the extra money and get the lid on it? Because I've seen like really cheap ones, which is just like you said, it's like a, it's like a setup with just a grate on top of it, you know, which you can yeah. cook on, obviously. But um, Yeah, sure you can. I mean, you could, with a sort of, um, like a, a bucket with like a standard grill yeah. on it, you could cook something pretty yeah. quick and easy, you know, yeah. cook, cook, quick cooking kind of steak or sausages or whatever mm. but the amount of stuff that you can't do on it it's I think not, it's yeah. worth getting the lid yeah. um yeah I'm sure when we were students that we had, <laughs> <laughs> that we like constructed a barbecue out of like you know sort of mm. a, a layer of brick like a little outline and then put a grill in for the coal yeah and then a few more bricks and a lid and a and a thing to grill on them I think that and did it have that. did it have old wine bottles as well that you used to Probably. put around the edge? I remember. Quite, yeah, I'm sure we used to do something about that and poke them in. It was just yeah. that thing of like you know uh, any by any means necessary and not yeah, spending any money, which is like and you know you can room. of course you can you can grill on those. Yeah. So if you imagine a griddle pan on your yeah. hob, anything you could cook in a griddle pan on your hob, you yeah. could cook on a barbecue like that. Yeah. Good, it's just like an open. Think about it. Yeah, it's an open. It's an open grill. Yeah. Um, and, and whereas, like, once you've got a lid to go on it, you're creating more of an oven. Yeah. As well as a grill, so then it becomes a much more multifunctional piece of cooking kit. Mm-hmm. And and actually, with a barbecue with a lid, you can cook pretty much anything. I mean, cakes. I've done cakes in there. Really? I've done bread in there. I mean, most people probably wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> But you can, you know, you can. Yeah. Um, what about the other end of the spectrum? Because I've I have seen a lot more things like the big green eggs and mm-hmm. Kamado Joe, which is another one that I, I started following them in Instagram just because they look they just look lovely. And yeah. I've, I probably. I mean, I've got out. a. Have you? Yeah, I've got a Kamado Joe in my garden and. It's an amazing bit of kit. Yeah. So if you're if you're serious about your barbecue, um, one thing I will say about it is they are super super fuel efficient. So oh, you really? hardly use any fuel in them if you wow. use them pro- properly. So they're very good from that point of view. But also because they've got those very thick ceramic walls, essentially you've got an oven. So it's almost you can oh, use it like a wood burning oven as well. You can make cakes, you can do pizzas, you can do you know. So it's a it is a it's a full on outdoor oven. So both it's of not... those types are have got like ceramic housing, and that's what sure. that's, that's what makes them really special. Yeah. So the Kamado style of oven, it's like a Japanese oh. barbecue oven, and Big Green Egg is one brand. Kamado Joe's another. There's another one called Monolith. There's there's several. Okay. But yeah. And what was I mean? What's the idea behind that? That it, it's just a better conductor of heat, or? Yeah, sure. So ceramic is very good at. Um, uh, so you light the fire in it, and then the, the ceramic walls kind of suck up all that energy, and then they radiate it out. So you've kind of got an all-round kind of fire thing going on. But also because they've got vents at the top and the bottom, you can super finely tune. You know, I can finely tune the temperature on my Kamado Joe to within five degrees of where I want it. Okay. So it is more like turning your oven on in the kitchen yeah. and saying, right, I want to cook that at 180, so I'm going to just sort of get Keep it there. Quite precise and, with that and, as one, well. and once you're there, it, yeah. will stay, it will stay there for hours wow. because they're so, you know, you could hold it at that temperature for overnight, 12 hours, 14 hours. Wow. 
yeah just with one little bit of charcoal so so they're 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 pretty awesome bits of kit obviously they're expensive they're big and massive you you can't take them around you know if you if you live in a rented house and you're moving you know it's a serious bit of kit to to move um do you teach the um that class at your fire school or will you teach yeah 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 yeah. those kinds of things absolutely yeah no I I definitely and I'm doing some I'm doing a set of videos at the moment about how to use those ovens so they're all going to be on my um, all going to be on my Instagram I don't think I'll ever graduate to that. I'm quite happy with my like Weber kettle, which yeah. is which is so so there's something like just so pleasing about the shape of it and the size yeah. of it and everything. And I, I feel like I can handle it, you know. Well, yeah. I can't actually, but um I feel like I'm <laughs> gonna get to the point where I'm I'm gonna be in charge of it rather than mm. it kind of being in And you of me. will be. Yeah, yeah you, you will be. Just, Definitely. Yeah. So what about um I've seen so many fancy accessories online mm. for barbecues, mm. all sorts of weird and wonderful implements. Like what, what are the basics that you, that you absolutely must have as in like safety wise and just being able to get around a barbecue and do, do your job efficiently? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of sort of fancy gadgets no. and kits. It's just like, I sort of call that man cooking. It's just, I just like things to be really simple yeah. and basic and not too sort of gadgety. So you can again get all sorts of weird kind of Wi-Fi thermometers and all that shizzle, but it's just not my bag really. Um, a meat probe thermometer yeah. is a really, really good idea um, because that goes back to the point of um, it's done when it's done. Yeah. How, do you know it? How do you know it's done? You stick a probe in it, you know it's done. Um, and actually, off very often meat. You know, I think the the mistake people classically make with barbecues is they cook things too hot. Yeah. So you get that dreaded kind of burnt on the outside and more in the middle thing. And um, but actually, with a probe, you know it's cooked. So there's no let's just do it for another twenty minutes till it's black just yeah. to make sure it's done. Because often, you know you've had a couple of beers and you're in the garden and maybe it's getting late or it's dusk and you know I think people can feel slightly over anxious about when their barbecue food is done but with a probe you know the probe's not going to lie so that that would be my number one bit of kit to get. Is that one of the ones that you you would leave in or are you talking about like a thermopen kind of thing? I mean both I I mean the the sort of standard thermopen is a fantastic bit of kit and you know you can use those for making sugar and stuff in the kitchen you know they're really fabulous so one of those is a sort of that would be my sort of baseline get one of those if you want to get into low and slow cooking like pulled pork or brisket um get a probe and again thermopen make them and other people make them too it's a probe on a wire so the probe is in the lid is down and the monitor bit is outside the barbecue so you can keep an eye on that temperature before you don't need to open the lid because that's the that's the death of barbecue is every time you open the lid all that heat comes out um and you've lost it, yeah. you know, if you're doing a, a low and slow cook. Whereas yeah. if you've got a, a temperature probe in there and a monitor on the outside, there's no need to open the lid. Because if it says it's at 50 degrees inside and you you it know is. you want <laughs> your steak kind of medium rare, you take it out, you know, when it's 55. Cool. What about other things like pokey, pokey things? I have found, pokey things. I've, I've, got, I've got some giant tongs. Like, but, yeah. but you need it if it 
if it's hot, hot, you need something mm. that's going to move mm. you a little bit away from that. I did, when I first got the barbecue, try and use my normal tongs and it was, you know, touch and go. Yeah, so um, tongs are really useful, long-handled tongs. I've got some that um, are like, they call them a spatula tongs. If you imagine it, it's like a spatula underneath yeah. and then a tong on top. To grip. So that's quite good for going underneath burgers and then picking it up. So that's that's a really good thing, (laughs) really useful. Um, Just standard barbecue tongs. Like you say, barbecue ones tend to be just a little bit longer because those short ones that you might use for turning stuff in your kitchen, you know, you're going to get a bit bit hot. Um, Leather, I've got some leather gauntlets, like just gloves. Right. And I, I use them occasionally with okay. my barbecue. I more use them when I'm doing wood-fired cookery, really. Yeah. But it's good to have, like, a really hearty oven mitt in yeah. case you need to move the grill up, you know. Around, yeah. yeah, that's a good thing. And then apart from that, what else? I would say that's pretty pretty standard, really. I mean, actually, the other thing that um, I always encourage people is... To, to take pans and trays to the barbecue. You don't yeah. feel like you have to just cook on the grill bars that are there. You know, if you've got like a little, I use my Netherton pans or my hot, you know, chopper, chopper plates, dump them on because then you can kind of fry eggs or you can kind of have a sauce bubbling away in a little so, pan, you know, just dump you dump stuff dump on, on there, your yeah. grill. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's, it's a good way of using up that whole space. Yeah, cool. And what about um, when when I told people we we're doing this this podcast? Quite a few people at work um, threw in questions, and a lot mm. of them were about fuel, basically, because mm. I think it's 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 such a huge subject. Um, so what what would you say is the best if you're starting from scratch? What what's the best technique to get that barbecue right temperature? So. Um, this is something I'm super passionate about. Um, please buy good, decent charcoal. And by decent charcoal, I mean preferably British charcoal that's made in a sort of sustainable way. Yeah. Um, there are a myriad of reasons for doing that, not least that the charcoal that we pick up when we're in the supermarket or the garage yeah invariably comes from tropical rainforests oh, really? and I don't imagine anybody out there wants to think they're burning a rainforest tree to cook their sausages um so I and not only has it traveled you know it's tropical rainforest mostly mm. from Africa or South America um you know there's all the miles it's taken to get here yeah um, in big shipping containers, they have to put chemicals into it to stop it catching a light when it's traveling oh, God. And then they need to put more chemicals in it when it gets here so you can actually light it. So it's kind of full of impurities, that charcoal. Um, And I would dispute that the working conditions of the people that make it in the tropics are what we would like to think they were. Um, And and actually, on on a sort of really positive kind of note to that making charcoal is really really good for the environment it's good for our woodlands to do that it's a way of managing our woodlands and it's a really vital old skill to increase biodiversity in our woodlands so by buying sustainably made british charcoal you're doing a really good service to our woodlands and our biodiversity in this country and for me that's really important and will people when when you just 
you know, walk in, you know, if you if you were going, for example, to a big garden centre or something, yeah. presumably <clears throat> it, it's not, it, there will be something out there if you look hard enough to buy. It's really easy to find online. I mean, right, I can okay. I can name my favourite charcoal makers if yeah, I'm allowed it. to yeah, do absolutely. that. Yeah, so um, my very favourite charcoal makers are Whittle and Flame yeah. in Oxfordshire. They work out of the Cornbury Estate, which is um, where the Wilderness Festival is, and all the wood comes from there. Um, they're absolutely at the cutting edge of charcoal making, so it's made in the most efficient, environmentally friendly way possible. Um, not only do they make charcoal, in making charcoal, they're generating electricity because they make it so efficiently. There's lots of en- They've got spare energy from it, so it's really, really good. There are other charcoal makers that are great. Uh, Birchwood Forestry in Hereford, Stag Charcoal in Hertfordshire. Um, and these people, you can find them online. If you Google sustainable British charcoal, you will find. And actually, if your um, listeners want to find me on social media, I'm very happy to point them in the direction of good charcoal makers. So I feel so passionately that we should be, you know, it's part of my job is to encourage people to use good good fuel. And and when um, presumably all those people are set up to deliver quite a a big big bag of stuff. So it's quite efficient as well. It's quite efficient. I know obviously there's um, postage. I know with Whittle and Flame, it's like a Flat fee for postage, so okay. it's like it's like six quid for postage, but you can get four bags yeah. for that. Big so bags. that that would do most people yeah. for the summer, yeah. um, and and I think it it is a bit it's a more expensive product slightly, but but it burns much hotter, it burns right. more efficiently, you get less waste, um, so it's more cost effective, I think. Stick around for some great ideas for cooking veg on the barbecue. Can you take us through, I was saying to Jen earlier that um, I managed to <laughs> not do a very good job of using a chimney, which is um, one of the most efficient ways of, of lighting a barbecue, I guess. Um, I, did, I had my first experiment with it last night. I think it was... So what, what did you do? Tell I, me what you did. Okay. I, <laughs> I looked on the bag. Um, it, was, it came with my barbecue, so it was Weber kind of, I, I guess they're briquettes. Um, you can tell mm. me the difference between charcoal and briquettes as well, because they were perfectly mm. round little thing, you know, older yeah. things. Um, mm. And it said, pour pour the briquettes into the chimney, put um, mm-hmm. a light fire lighters underneath the chimney, mm-hmm. light them, mm-hmm. and then wait until the flames appear at the top of the mm-hmm. chimney, which I did. Um, by the time the flames had appeared, the the charcoal was kind of was looking all white and glowy. Mm-hmm. So then I tipped it into the barbecue and um, put the lid down and I, I was trying to make pizzas and it just, the temperature just didn't come up. So I um, would, I would guess you probably took it too far. Oh, is that what I did? You, you overcooked them. I mean, those, I'm not a massive fan of those briquettes because they're essentially charcoal dust that oh, gets okay. compressed together with yeah, sort yeah. of starch to kind of yeah. hold it together. So um, so it, it it would be better to try some um, lumpwood charcoal, which is just the wood that's okay. been carbonised. So, bri- so briquettes is stuff that's been <clears throat> compressed to make a shape and lumpwood is just literally a yeah. lump of I mean, wood. some, some barbecuers re- are really 
big fans of those briquettes because once you get them alight, they do burn for a long time and they're very they're supposedly very consistent but I'm not I'm not a massive fan of them because they're often full of a load of old gumph to kind of stick them together it's weird that you said that though because I did when I I I was coming back and forth from the kitchen to look at my dough and sort very top multitasking I felt like I put a shift in in a um, in a restaurant I'm not (laughs) kidding I'm not it was it was brutal I was so tired yeah um, but um, but yeah, I, I remember thinking, oh, they look really hot. like you know, not like I just got them going, but yeah, exactly yeah. as you said. Like I think I over. think you'd gone over. I think you'd gone over on them. And yeah. actually, with with pure lumpwood charcoal, yeah. that's a product that's kind of ninety percent carbon, very pure. You don't need to wait until it's done that ashy over thing. That right. that's a kind of byproduct of rubbish charcoal because oh. you've got to burn all the chemicals off before okay. you can cook on it yeah. but actually with good charcoal so in my chimney chimney starter is a fantastic way to yeah. light a barbecue and i would definitely recommend them um but i would only wait until it it had burnt halfway up right then tip it into my barbecue okay so what don't about, wait until it's all the way to the top because then you've lost kind of fifty percent of that heat, really. Yeah. What about the um, the firelighters? I'm using the little lighting. I just got some. It, it, this it said natural British yeah. light firelighters, and they look like yeah. cardboardy kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ones I use are like a twist of um, a twist of. Oh my god, my brain's gone. Yeah, the ones I use, it's like a twist of sawdust. Like wood oh, shavings. Yeah, these were like sawdusty in, as well, yeah. Yeah, dipped in wax. Oh, okay. And they're they're brilliant. And you should just be able to use one of those underneath your okay. chimney to get it to get it lit. Yeah, yeah. I think I used I used too many as well. I got mm. I, I obviously I read the instructions and obviously completely discounted them and thought, well maybe I've gonna use more. <laughs> so I think I used yeah. them. One one should do it. One really? should do it. I mean it's, yeah, it definitely sounds to me like you overcooked your charcoal and you all the heat has already gone by the time you put this it in. This is all good fire. though, because I can take this to the next the next time I use it. And, and when I'm when I'm lighting that chimney, is the do I have the vents yeah. open or or closed at the bottom of the barbecue? Well, I would just have um so if I'm lighting my chimney, I have the lid of the barbecue up yeah. and just the chimney balanced on the grill. Yeah. So don't shut the lid. No. Just have it sat there so the lid's open, basically. But you, know, you know that thing at the <clears> bottom <throat> of the barbecue, that sort of like the ash falls through into the little Yeah, yeah thing. sure. Should they be yeah. open or...? I mean, it shouldn't make any difference to how the chimney that. lights, really. No. But yeah, okay. generally, I would have the bottom vents of my barbecue um, open and then control the temperature a little bit with the top vent. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, I think, is that people need to get into the habit of um, setting up heat zones on their barbecue. So don't just flood the whole of the bottom right. of your barbecue with a layer of charcoal, because then you've got no other option but to cook directly, like yeah. right over the heat, and then it's too hot. So I would always suggest, if you imagine your circular barbecue, yeah setting up so you've got charcoal down one half mm-hmm. and then nothing on the other half so is this um, indirect and direct heat that people indirect and direct heat and that is that is number one kind of rule for barbecuing is yeah. set up your barbecue so you have got indirect and indirect 
capability because yeah. if it's if it's just direct heat you've got nowhere to move to you've got no you've got no wriggle room there's nowhere yeah. to go if it's cooking too hot and actually i would say probably 80 percent of food is better cooked slightly off the direct heat okay so you know you cook it slightly away from the heat it's going to cook more gently it's going to cook more evenly the heat's going to penetrate through so you don't get that burnt thing yeah and that raw thing so most things are better cooked slightly off the heat and some things are better cooked way off the heat you know if you're doing pulled pork or something you want it as far away from the heat as possible and then just use that heat as the heat you know you're not kind of grilling you're it's more like oven-y and then you you know you may you may want to put some smoking wood like little wood little wood blocks onto the fire to create smoke because charcoal charcoal in itself yeah is carbon which produces very little smoke you won't get smoke from charcoal smoky um flavor from that no no that's where you need to add a little bit of wood so is the is the um are you employing the um the the lid of the barbecue when you're cooking off on indirect heat mostly then you're turning it Mm. into your oven even if you're cooking directly i would put a lid the lid down if you've got a lid yeah yeah i would just because it's yeah that's it's always kind of puzzled me like what lid down lid up it's a bit like yeah your analogy is right though because then your heat's Mm. more consistent then isn't it your heat is more consistent and it's more um it's more kind of moist as well you know it's sort of it's a more enclosed kind of system and there's steam and it's yeah it's kind of richer environment to cook in not so dry laura had this really interesting question which was it because Obviously, we're not doing barbecues for huge groups of people anymore. Hopefully, we'll be Mm. able to soon. But at the minute, like, can you use a small amount of coals for, like, one person or two people? Or or do you need a certain amount to kind of get the heat you need to cook? No, I mean, you can absolutely. I mean, I guess that that skill comes with practice right. knowing how much and going back to the expensive Kamado style ovens yeah. the beauty of those is when you finish you, you fill them up with charcoal always and then when you finish cooking you just shut the air off and it kills it and then that charcoal's left for the next cook so oh, really? that's one of the reasons it's very efficient oh. but with a with a sort of regular kettle barbecue you don't have that capability so yeah if you were just cooking a few sausages you don't need a big fire you don't need a lot of charcoal but that's just gonna come with experience and I always say to people that the you know if you if you drag your barbecue out of the shed twice over the summer it's always going to feel like a slightly scary arrangement isn't it it's like it's just the more you do it the more it feels totally normal and, and you get used to it and you you learn about the fuel that you're using and how how it kind of responds because some charcoal burns quicker than others um but yeah absolutely and and if you find i often take um take the grills out of my barbecue and just cook directly on the coals so if if i've got like embers that are you know not really doing enough to do searing i might i might stick a little pan in the coals and i can you can put stuff in it and fry stuff i mean some vegetables you can just chuck them directly in the embers as well so peppers and aubergines you know just chuck it in the fire directly and so you can cook stuff on a tiny bit of charcoal because i know when you um when we talked about wood-fired cooking in the past um and you built your oven you were saying that 
because it takes such a lot of energy to get the, the fire going. Yeah. It's great to be able to like, you know, use the time. So you're using like the heat for the, the first bit, then it slows down, then it, it gets to the point where, you know, you can make, you can make something on a very low heat of, cause you leave it in there overnight. So yeah, it's exactly. kind of scaling that down slightly, but it's similar kind of vibe of like, just making it, sure it, you use it. Exactly. I mean, I think if you've invested in good charcoal and, and you know, that's it. think of charcoal as, as actually your main yeah. ingredient. You know, it's going to make or break your cooking, the quality yeah. of your charcoal. So once you've invested in decent charcoal, you want to utilise that. And, and actually, I don't, that's part of the reason I wrote chards was that I didn't want to just do the kind of meat main bits on the barbecue. I wanted yeah. to cook the entire meal on the barbecue yeah. and you get it, you get it, you get it going and you can get all your sort of side dishes ready on the barbecue and they're just sort of there at room temperature and then you just want to keep chucking stuff on. So you just, again, it's a bit of kind of confidence and getting used to it as a way of cooking, but kind of having stuff lined up ready to go on. So you've always using that heat efficiently. Um, And you mentioned your book, Chard, which is, um, it's all about uh, veggie barbecue cooking, isn't it? It is. It's a vegetarian barbecue book, um, but I didn't write it for vegetarians. I wrote it for those big, hairy, macho, meat-eating <laughs> barbecues. But they were in my mind when I was writing it. It's a book for them to, to, to show them that actually barbecue is not just about kind of meat. Yeah. And um, I kind of think that barbecuing in some senses, it's like the last bastion of the carnivore, isn't it? Yeah. And if you think about any other meal you might be invited to, like yeah. a, a Sunday roast or something with your friends, you get one beautiful joint of meat and then lots of side dishes that lots they've thought things, about. Yeah. Whereas at a barbecue, it's the only meal I can think of where you might be expected to eat a sausage yeah. or, and a wing and a chop and a bit of steak and maybe a bit of chicken and, or, you know, all of that in one meal. And I don't want to eat like that. It's no. sort of very old-fashioned way of eating, to my tell, mind. Tell us some of the, the more unusual things in that book because another question we had was what could what unusual things can you cook on the barbecue especially like veg- veggie wise yeah I mean you can cook anything on a barbecue anything at all um I mean some of my favorite recipes in that yeah. book um involve root vegetables so parsnips barbecue beautifully really? yeah really really nice they kind of they've got a lot of you know the Sugar. Maillard you know the Maillard reaction that you get yeah. with steak yeah so vegetables do that because it's just it's it's a chain reaction to do with the sugars and the amino acids. And those components are, to a greater or lesser extent, in different vegetables. So all those root vegetables do that thing yeah. really beautifully and you get lovely kind of caramelisation. Um, so there's a recipe in there for kind of smoked parsnips with fennel butter, which is oh, wow. just so, so good, so good. So that's a good one. Um, Cauliflower's pretty hip at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Cauliflower's good with fire. You know, it was it's kind that of shawarma co- that was doing the rounds. Uh, was yeah. it last year or the year before? The, yeah. I think it was Berber and Q were doing the Berber and whole, Q, yeah. whole cauliflower shawarma. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, might yeah. do that, actually. I could do that. <laughs> well, in, in charge, there's a whole cauliflower with a kind of um, a spiced butter and sort nice. of herbs and stuff. Really good. I mean, I do think cauliflower's a bit... It can be a bit virtuous, doesn't it? I think, to my mind, it needs a kind of good hit of butter or cheese. Yeah, or I think that's why I do some fat, yeah. yeah. But it loves fat anyway, doesn't it? Like collagen. It's the reason collagen yeah. is such a... Loves it. Soak, soaks it up, yeah. yeah. Um, anything else? Tell us about some more veg. Come on, get us oh. into it. <laughs> 
the recipe the recipe that started the book is a yeah. is a salad carrot salad it's a charred really? carrot salad oh, wow. um and with that one you blanch the carrots first yeah. um just for five minutes or so and then you marinate them with some chipotle chili and cumin and garlic um if you put that marinade on when the carrots were cold and raw yeah. it wouldn't do anything it would just sit on the outside so by blanching you're opening up the cell walls and then it's going to suck in those flavors um, then you barbecue them and then uh, then I sort of layered it up with spring onions and lots of herbs and some ricotta and some pecans and stuff. So it's sort of building up all the different textures and the, the kind of way things feel in your mouth. So you've got crunchy yeah. bits and crispy bits and sort of creamy bits, you know, and it's just, the, those are my favourite vegetable that's, dishes, yeah, really. That sounds great because, you, you know, you're used to people chucking maybe a bit of a mushroom on a barbie or an aubergine because yeah. that's it feels like that's the kind of thing that you do so to actually do like a root veg like yeah. barbecue parsnip sounds mad but brilliant yeah really good <laughs> there's um there's another recipe for smoked swede oh yeah kind of funky but really nice really yeah. nice and i did it with um with like a peppercorny jack daniels cream sauce so oh, it's, it's a lovely kind of rich really nice one for kind of you know like a sunday lunchy kind of do you do it whole dish. then the swede no cut it into wedges like wedges. it's one of those yeah i mean you could do it whole if you did it long enough yeah. you know any, any, low and slow if you think about it as a sort of very slow it would thing. have to be because it's it's quite dense sure. isn't it totally dense yeah but you cut it into wedges and do it in a do it in yeah smoke it what do you think about vegetable steaks because they were big last year weren't they <laughs> well like collie ones where you yeah, cut the I've thing seen, off I've seen collie yeah. steaks celeriac steaks yeah, yeah. i mean they're that kind of fun quite well, wouldn't they? It? Yeah. yeah it would celeriac's a great one for fire yeah. really nice and um, ottolenghi does a really beautiful kind of celeriac shawarma type oh. thing so so good gorgeous maybe mm. we can make parsnip steaks i think <laughs> Yeah, you heard it here first um, <laughs> that was brilliant Jen thank you so much for coming to talk to us today so if people want to find you on Instagram where do yeah, they it's, it's uh, Genevieve Eats Genevieve Eats um, <laughs> and then you also have a comprehensive website um, I've got a website it's just my name Genevieve Taylor yeah. and that's where you can find details fire about fire school yeah Great. yeah okay and your book charred with all of those lovely recipes is out now um often on special offer on amazon i keep seeing yeah, it on your, um, doing um it's doing it's number super, one. <laughs> super well at the moment yeah it's been number one in the barbecuing charts um Yay. on and off for the last 10 days Fantastic. which is fabulous that's yeah. brilliant well thank you so much again for coming and take thank care of yourself you. out there yeah. in bristol and hopefully see you in the flesh soon yes lovely all right thank you Bye. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you want to explore more of our podcast back catalogue of over 200 episodes, you'll find us on all the main podcast platforms and on our website, olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find tons of useful recipes and great cooking advice. And if you're finding it difficult to get your monthly mug, why not become a temporary subscriber? You'll get the next three copies of Olive Magazine delivered to your door for a single payment of £12.50, saving 15% off the usual shop price, with free delivery and no obligation to continue after the three months. To take advantage, go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash olpod3. That's O-L-P-O-D-3. Stay safe and we'll see you next week when we have a brand new episode to listen to. Thank you.